This episode of the Getting Smart Podcast is part of our new Pathways campaign. What is something you used to think that you've changed your mind about? It's time for us to do that with all things learning. Previous Getting Smart campaigns have laid the groundwork of networks, place, purpose, and innovation. Our latest effort, the new Pathways campaign, will serve as a catalyst for unbundling education to allow for new learning models that are sustained by support and guidance and embedded in scalable systems. In partnership with ASA, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Stand Together, and the Walton Foundation, the new Pathways campaign will question education status quo and propose new methods of giving students a chance to experience success in what's next. Find out more at gettingsmart.com backslash new pathways. You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Shining Carruthers, and today I'm joined by Stephanie Short and David Zazada to discuss Design for Delights, also known as D4D, latest case study, which highlights core takeaways from the recent D4D camp and course. Earlier this year, America Succeeds and Design for Delight partnered to articulate the effectiveness of Intuit's Design for Delight program and how well it cultivates durable skills. Stephanie Short is Vice President of Partnerships at America Succeeds, a nonprofit education advocacy organization committed to improving educational opportunities, outcomes, and equity by harnessing the influence and acumen of the business community in accelerating systems change. David Zazada is Vice President of Education and Corporate Responsibility at Intuit, a global technology firm specializing in software and the creator of the Design for Delight program. Thank you both for being here today. How are you all? Good. Thanks for having us. I'm really, really excited to be joining the conversation to talk about this cool program. And so glad to have you. Those intros were like a mouthful, so I'm just going to like <laughs> take a second. But first, I'm going to just start off with a hard-hitting question for you, Stephanie. Are you ready? It's, it's, it's super hard-hitting. I'm totally ready. Okay. And this is like industry secrets, but you can tell me. What's the Design for Delight case study written by Chat GPT for? <laughs> <laughs> I need to know. Or maybe Bard, like the new Google AI like competitor. Like let, let us know. Um, I can proudly say that a human on our team uh, wrote and supported that report um, alongside Getting Smart. Um, but I think to our conversation about durable skills, kind of really interesting intersection and how these skills will continue to be valuable and, and important in the workforce over time. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to I'm gonna circle back to that but because I was joking, but I wasn't because of all the points that you just stated. And so I do want to circle back to in a space where we now have AI who can do these things better than humans in most cases, how more important the durable skills become. But before we do that, I want to just kind of get some background um, just from you, Dave, on like what Intuit is and um, just thinking about like what corporate responsibility means. So um, if you can just kind of give us a foundation of what you all are doing. Yeah, no, happy to. Um, as you had mentioned, Intuit's a, a global financial technology platform. We have over 100 million customers worldwide that use our products, which include TurboTax and QuickBooks, Credit Karma and MailChimp. And really for, for now over 40 years, you know, we've been helping our customers um, you know, really achieve confidence in the areas that our products ultimately support, which is really in financial confidence. And 
you know, I think what's also important is our mission is really grounded in the fact that we really believe that everyone should have the opportunity to prosper. So that's a little bit about, about into it. As it relates to corporate responsibility, which is an area that I have the privilege of, of leading it into it, you know, corporate responsibility really focuses on supporting communities in need. And we do that in three areas. There's job creation, uh, there's job readiness, and then there's having a positive impact on climate. So job creation is really all about creating uh, new jobs in communities you know, where there are higher unemployment rates, um, where the hourly wage is, is lower, um, you know, again, typically in underserved communities. Job readiness is really all about the work we do to help better prepare students for jobs by helping them develop personal finance and durable skills. And then having a positive impact on climate is really all about doing our part to not only reduce the, you know, uh, you know our own footprint into it, but then helping others reduce their carbon footprint. So uh, from a job readiness perspective today, we've um, ultimately had over 2 million students, you know, um, become better prepared for jobs through the use of our free resources that, um, you know, that we make available. So, you know, that's just a little bit about into it and a little bit about what corporate responsibility does that into it. And so Dave, like you simply could have just like dialed it in, but instead you all kind of went the other direction and just like went all in and, and truly like really embedding yourself in this process of what this looks like at America Succeeds. Like, why was it important for you all to play such an integral role in this work instead of just kind of just alongside, but instead you all just kind of jumped all the way in? Yeah, you know, I, I think it was really important you know, for us to work with both America Succeeds and Getting Smart as it relates to, you know, this D4D camp that we ran and really more importantly, validating our assumptions that through the kind of um, application of design thinking and, and D4D. And by the way, you know, D4D is really into its flavor of design thinking, which happy to expand on more if you'd like. But our, you know, our assumption has been um, that through the application of using, you know, D4D, students learn durable skills. And so, um, you know, from our conversations with America Succeeds, we knew we were both kind of like-minded in terms of the importance of teaching durable skills. And so we wanted to partner with you all um, so that we could have the work that we're doing around D4D independently assessed on whether our assumptions were actually true. And, you know, given your expertise, we felt uh, you were best positioned to help us measure efficacy in the application of D4D and um, the benefits it provides in developing durable skills. And so, Stephanie, how does D4D build on design thinking? Like, where is it alike? Where is it different? And then, Dave, if you want to build on that, please feel free. Of course. Um, I'd like to, to back up a little bit uh, in terms of kind of the alignment between D4D and the design thinking process. D4D has three um, core pieces and uh, durable skills includes 10 competencies. And so for America Succeeds, we define durable skills as how you use what you know and how you show up in the world. It's skills like critical thinking, creativity, collaboration. It is also your resilience, your self and cultural awareness, your leadership. And we noticed really early on through the process of 
deep customer empathy and creative problem solving and iteration that the D for D covered all 10 of those durable skills in different ways and provided opportunities to practice them. And if you can kind of even give us like a, maybe a, a broader overview on just like what is D for D just in general? Yeah. So, so here's, here's what I would do. Uh, let me back up and first talk about what design thinking is and then what D for D is. Um, because again, you know, D for D is really into its flavor of design thinking, but for those who don't know, um, you know, what design thinking is, you know, ultimately, if you're not familiar with it, it's a hypothesis driven problem solving process. And, you know, it's a Silicon Valley best practice. It's really used to create, you know, the most successful innovations and the most valuable companies of our time. Um, and it's actually in itself, design thinking is one of the most sought after skills by employers across many different industries. In fact, 75% of companies engage in the use of design thinking. So it's companies like Intuit, companies like Nike, Nordstrom, Bank of America, Google, Starbucks, and many others across just multiple industries. Um, and really, uh, ultimately, um, when it comes to D for D, you know, as I said, you know, D for D is into its flavor of design thinking. Um, and all the employees, you know, at Intuit are trained on how to use design thinking when they join when they join the business. In fact, Scott Cook, our founder, built into it um, using D4D, and it's really been a catalyst in our reinventing ourselves multiple times and continuing to have what we call a first day mindset that allows all of us to work together to ensure that as a company we act like a forty year old startup. So, so we kind of feel that that design thinking and D4D specifically um, is one of our superpowers and that it helps us improve our customers' lives. So D4D embraces three principles. You know, the first is producing deep customer empathy, where we try to understand customers and their pain points better than they actually know themselves. So that's number one. Number two is going broad to go narrow, where the goal is to focus on first generating a large number of ideas that can solve some of those key pain points that our customers have, and then narrowing to the most innovative ones. So that's number two. And then number three is rapid experimentation, where the objective is to make better decisions based on user behavior and facts rather than just assumptions, and then embrace the mindset of failing fast so you can succeed faster. So that's a little bit about design thinking and then kind of into its version of it, which is really what we call designed for delight or D for D. Yeah, I'm going to ask you one more question before I shift over to Stephanie, but you stated that um, as an employer, lots of employers are using the design thinking because it's really important. How do employers know that students know how to use design thinking? Like, are there particular signals? Yeah, great question. So, so the reason why an employer might know that a student who's interviewing to become part of their company has some experience with design thinking is there's a couple of different ways. Number one, there are actually design thinking certifications now that a student can actually get that'll act that'll certify that they have not they not only know about what design thinking is, but they can actually also apply it. We have one for D4D specifically as well. That's one way. But you know, as you know, as an employer, you know, as a manager in a company like Intuit, um, I specifically um, ask questions when I'm interviewing around 
the use of design thinking, and I may not call it out, call the methodology out kind of in each of its different phases, but I, I will talk about, tell me about how you really are, you know, develop empathy about the individuals that you're, that you're trying to help. Talk to me about your innovation process and how you ultimately identify the solutions that you want to test. Talk to me about how you make decisions on what ultimately your go- you know your the solutions are that you want to lean into. And so those questions are all designed to really test whether they understand the methodology and have actually applied it. Um, and in particular, when you get toward you know understanding how they make decisions, you know, if the answers are, well, it's gut feel, or I have assumptions, or my experience says, these are all triggers that tell you, okay, wait a minute, you're not using real data to make decisions. You're, you know, you're just going off of assumptions. And that is a risk, um, you know, for anyone in any industry who's trying to come up with a solution for a customer problem. Because, you know, I can tell you from experience, the worst thing you can do is have everybody sitting around in a conference room thinking that they know what, you know, the individual who they're trying to help needs versus actually going out and having conversations about it. I would love to jump in here because what David's really talking about um, and Intuit is not alone in this. We've heard a lot of employers and have the data from employers about how durable skills might show up in an interview. So the ideas around empathy, around creative thinking, around computational thinking and analysis and having some literacy in data and being able to articulate what those experiences are and um, how they might be beneficial, right? It's giving oftentimes a student who's participated in design thinking has a lot more of the language that employers are looking for to talk about their skills and experiences and how that might advance their college or career. Yeah. And that language around durable skills is continuing to become commonplace. Um, But they're still in some spaces where we're kind of all saying the same things, but not necessarily saying it the same way. Um, So Stephanie, how do you identify the durable skills? So, to your point, Shani, there's the language problem is really complicated, right? It's that sometimes we use the same word to describe different skills. Sometimes it's different words to describe the same skills. And sometimes we're just talking two completely different languages, especially when it comes to education and the workforce. America Succeeds is currently working in partnership with CompTIA and Common Group to develop a common competency framework or really a common lexicon around this skill set to help try and address some of that gap in the language. And in particular, when it came to D4D, we mapped the curriculum, the Design for Delight process with the 10 durable skills competencies. And then through the week-long camp, evaluated how students had the opportunity to identify and then practice and ultimately articulate those their learnings around those skills, that experience ultimately sets them up for success 
So whether they're interviewing with Intuit or they're interviewing with another company, when someone asks them, hey, can you tell me about a time that you practiced collaboration? Can you tell me about a time that you practiced creative problem solving or iterating? They can draw back to that D for D experience and not only tell a really powerful story, but tell that story in this with the same language that employers are using. So it goes a really long way in building the connective tissue between education and pathways into the workforce. Yeah, and Dave, is that um you you mentioned just listening to Stephanie about that um, that tissue that connectivity, and then I'm also just kind of reflecting back on when you were saying that you train all of your employees in design thinking. Is it difficult to change the mindset of employees to kind of shift to what Stephanie is talking about in terms of like the durable skills to to really understand how to kind of like operate within that durable skill framework and uh, design thinking framework in order to really um, propel the business forward and, and welcome in new employees? Yeah, you know, so. I, I heard two questions there. The first was just going to build off of Stephanie's comment about the connectivity between kind of using, you know, D for D and the development of durable skills. You know, I actually kind of stumbled on that connection personally. I was actually, I was teaching a, a two week course on design thinking um, to high school students. I was invited in to, to do this to an entrepreneurship course and as I was, by, as I was teaching it, you know, during those two weeks, by the third class, I noticed there started to be other teachers showing up who were observing, and I didn't quite know why they were there. Didn't really ask. Um, but at the end of the two week workshop, the district curriculum coordinator who had started to attend came up and you know thanked me for teaching design thinking to the kids. But she said, "Well, I appreciate you teaching them design thinking. What I really appreciate." is what design thinking teaches them, which is durable skills. Uh, because durable skills are difficult to teach and they're even harder to measure. And through the use of design thinking and D4D, you have given us a way to ultimately do that. So um, so for me, that kind of is what really created the connection and started to get me to understand, while it's great that we teach design thinking, it in itself is a skill that employers value. Really, it's the ability to teach durable skills, soft skills, entrepreneurial mindset, whatever you want to call them. But I love durable skills because it, you know, it, I think it resonates more. And when I talk with educators, it resonates more with them because it's the durable part that is so important because these are skills that really will benefit an individual for a lifetime, um, not for just a specific job. You know, it's really for whether it's work or life, durable skills are really just critical. So, you know, the second part of your, your you know, the second question you asked had to do with, you know, how are employees about embracing D4D? I can only really speak it into it, but, um, you know, initially it's like anybody who first starts to learn it, you know, it's, it's interesting and then they learn how to apply it. And, you know, there might be some that are like, well, this may take us a little bit longer to get to where we want to go because, you know, because I know what I already know what the customer wants. Let me just go straight there. But it's once you experience it and we, you know, our trainings are set up so that you have the opportunity to really practice it. And once you see it, it, you know, everyone understands the value. And there's numerous examples within our company of where it was used and how it actually changed the trajectory of the company in a very material way. So 
No, I appreciate that. And Stephanie, as um, I know, like Intuit is not as an outlier, but not an outlier because, like you said, lots of company now or companies now are starting to embrace um, durable skills and design thinking and just like trying to look at work in a different way. But uh, why is it important that you think other companies invest in this, especially now I'm going to circle back to our beginning question, especially in a space uh, where uh, we now have AI generated um, technology that can do a lot of things that um, humans can do sometimes even better. Like what role now does durable skills play in this space and why is it important for more employers to get on board? At the beginning of the durable skills initiative, we wanted to start with data. We're a business voice for education. We've heard employers talk about these skills for so long. And our first step was really proving out how they show up in the workforce. So we ran the durable skills competency framework through more than 80 million job postings to prove that they're in demand across industries, occupations, and geographies. We found that durable skills were seven of the top 10 most requested skills in job postings and that they were requested nearly four times as often as the top five hard or technical skills. What David was talking about a little earlier, and one interesting thing we saw in the data, is that the companies that are growing today, the companies that often get mentioned as the kind of best places to work, the most innovative, the most future-focused, they have significantly higher demands for durable skills. It is because of the impact of technology. With technology, with AI, with automation, it's these durable skills or these human skills that become incredibly important. We still need a human to deeply empathize with potential customers and clients to tell us how we should take that technology forward and to tell us how we should be thinking about designing the future of work so that it can be more inclusive and that customers and communities can prosper. So uh, for us, kind of finding that and then finding these really incredible bright spots like Intuit is a great hopeful kind of lens to do some storytelling in this space. The need for business to engage in education, but in ways that are also make sense for them that hopefully other companies can emulate and, and think about so that we can all kind of get towards a future that's less Terminator scary and more exciting and hopeful with new jobs and new opportunities for today's learners to contribute to the world and their community. So when I think about why the development of durable skills is so important to students and ultimately for employers, you know, I I think about a couple of stats that come to mind. You know, first of all, 5% of U.S. adults say that high school graduates are very prepared for success in the workplace, only 5%. And only 13% of adults say the same about college graduates, pretty low percentage, you know. So the need for durable skills is especially true with the rise of the gig economy, as it's projected that 50% of students today will have at least one side hustle within five years. So, you know, whether a student will someday start a side hustle or work for a small business or work for a bigger company, you know, durable skills are really a basic life skill 
that must be learned and that really is, you know, will last a lifetime. So, and, and you know, we think that that's particularly true at Intuit, you know, the, the study, you know, that Stephanie talked about that was done in terms of the analysis of 80 million job postings, Intuit was part of that. And, you know, Intuit was one of the companies they studied. And I, I believe it was over a two-year period, we had posted 50,000 jobs. And 90% of those required three or more durable skills. And, you know, one of the things that has always stuck with me, you know, as, as even a hiring manager that, you know, someone else had said that just really stuck with me was that, you know, although people are historically hired for technical skills, they tend to get fired for lack of durable skills. And so, you know, that's really powerful. And, you know, as, you know, as, as a hiring manager, or as someone who's responsible for a team, you know, that really resonates. Durable skills are just critical. Um, and typically, you know, the reason why you, cer- you see certain people kind of rise, you know, in, in your organization. Does any of that um, stand out to you, Stephanie, as like kind of an aha moment or something you want to build on? Well, honestly, I can't say it better myself, far more powerful coming from Intuit. But what I can say is that we've heard the same about durable skills from the majority of businesses that we've talked to. There is also some polling that it's often durable skills that employers struggle with the most in terms of a skills gap within their current workforce. And it's because the technical skills that are more black and white, that end in kind of a high stakes certification, are a lot easier to assess or train for. And it's been durable skills that have lived in this kind of murkier gray area. And so that's part of the long term vision of the competency framework that we're building is ultimately, are there ways to validate, demonstrate leverage a common language around durable skills to achieve our diversity, equity, and inclusion goals to advance economic mobility that's good for the learner, but also gives employers access to the talent they need. Yeah. And as we think about the the framework, um, Stephanie, for durable skills, where do the values, where do values fit into the picture, picture in terms of like local community agreements? Um, how does that, how do those things factor into the skills framework? One thing I've learned in talking about durable skills over the past several years now is that context really does matter. What we are currently focused on articulating through the competency framework is that baseline of durable skills that is applicable regardless of industry, occupation, or geography. Our hope with that framework or rubric is that communities will be able to take the data, take kind of the vetted research approach, and then localize it to their community's individual needs. So talking about the language problem at a local level, talking about how durable skills fit into different pathways, talking about how durable skills really kind of fit into the portrait of a graduate, what we'd like to see for today's learners. And so there's kind of both the the universal view, which is really exciting, and the really localized view that I think is incredibly impactful and important. Um, Working with a lot of business leaders, right, when you're into it, you have a global reach, you have a lot of impact. 
There are also small regional companies that care really, really deeply about their backyard. And with this work and the framework that will be openly available, we're hoping to inspire companies at every size and every level to think about what durable skills mean for them and think about ways they might even help support this work in their own backyards. And when you say, speaking of inspiration, when you say inspire, it automatically transported me to the D4D camp um, that we had this summer in San Diego. And to see it, um, as you all are talking about it, like I'm very familiar with it, right? Because we all partner together to do the work. But it's one thing to like do the work and be familiar. Then see other on the other side to see the kids actually like engaged in it and going through the process, which is so powerful. Um, so can you tell us about the D4D camp, the four day camp in, in San Diego? Like, what did you see and what gave you hope? I would just say that it, this like the D4D camp. And the broader experience, the fact that it was connected to a real work-based internship within the company are kind of all the best things that we love to see about this, right? The, the idea is that it can be done anywhere. It doesn't have to be D for D, but this was such a powerful demonstration of a way students can learn durable skills, a way students can practice durable skills that is real world, that is authentic, that has given them both some agency and a sense of confidence and is connected to an experience that will further their pathway along the college and or career spectrum. And so, right, I think if we're circling back on kind of hopes and all the goodness and like the the sense of excitement that comes from this is it's the few key themes or elements that can be replicated. And this was just one really powerful way that's hopefully inspiring others to think about how they might do this in their own communities. I'm hopeful about durable skills for a lot of reasons. Um, One thing that I will say as a kind of policy advocacy nonprofit, durable skills aren't red or blue or left or right. They are truly bipartisan, something that every parent, educator, state leader, family, employer is sort of aligned around. And so I think there's a real opportunity around durable skills to greatly expand pathways, especially for learners in their high school journeys and thinking about the post-COVID landscape, what's happening with post-secondary, the explosion of credentials, right? The whole kind of heart of Pathways Matter is that durable skills have potential to greatly expand opportunities for a student rather than locking them into a really particular technical track where they're going to have to continue learning and upskilling and reskilling over their lifetime. And so for me, I think one thing I'm most hopeful about is a world where every learner is empowered with durable skills and then can take advantage of the rapidly evolving world of work to move us towards the future that I think we'd all like to see. Does that resonate with you, Dave, like as you think about the future of work? Yeah, you know, it does. You know, I, I think that one of the things that durable skills also does is it it helps really um, close opportunity gaps and kind of advance workforce diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, you know, because it, especially when it comes to schools, 
underserved schools in particular, you know, students suffer from durable skills and equity. You know, there are simply just um, not the same tools and training available to both the teachers and the students to allow students to ultimately build um, durable skills. And so, um, you know, without that, without kind of leveling the playing field, um, you know, then, you know, that negatively impacts diversity, equity, inclusion, kind of at the corporate level. So, you know, to me, you know, I think that's one of the main benefits, you know, of helping develop durable skills in students in all zip codes um, is it really helps level that playing field around DEI. Well, just based on all the feedback that was written on the board by the students, they definitely got a lot out of it. And so I know there's so much more that we'll continue to learn. And Stephanie, as you go around and you talk about the competency rubrics and um, continue to measure what durable skills look like. And Dave, as you continue to implement this within your company and other companies, um, it's very encouraging. And like you said, Stephanie, very hopeful for the future of work. So thank you both for joining us today to have this conversation. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.